the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. You've heard about it. You've read about it. Maybe even you yourself uh, as an adult interacting with the Internet, as a lot of us have to do on a day-to-day basis relationship to uh, work and jobs and so forth, uh, have dealt with phishing scams and computer viruses, things of this sort. I'm hoping that a larger percentage, and I'm, I'm guarding my words here because you see a lot of these so-called 419 scans continue. I get me email and hundreds of them every day. It's always curious to take a day or two off and come back and find a thousand emails in my inbox. Um, a little bit of it is business. Most of it tends to be how I've just won a million dollars in a special lottery. I just need to send over a copy of my passport to collect it or that they've discovered my trunk that contains $2.3 million. And if I can just send a special courier fee to them, they'll be happy to release my money. On and on the list goes. Uh, Nigerian princesses who has uh, had uh, $50 million set in an American account somewhere and their parents have died. But if I'll help them out, I can get half the money if I just help them get the money out of the country. On and on the list goes. You see it, you laugh about it, you delete it, you move on. If you're an older person, particularly those who came up through it a day in an age when relationships, business in particular, were built on trust and relationships um, that perhaps uh, might be less weary of some of these scams that are out there, and whether at the end of the day you're talking about a phishing scam, a computer virus that we accidentally download, or even dating scams, um, older folks, mom and dad, grandma and grandpa, are highly susceptible to this kind of chicanery. In fact, of those seniors who have some familiarity with being online, fully two-thirds of them have been scammed in one way or another. Well, what to do? Joining me, Michael Kaiser, Executive Director of the National Cybersecurity Alliance. And, and Michael, as much and, and as prevalent as all of this is, you, you would think that we would be reaching the point that we'd be sensitized to this enough that we would see scams coming. And it seems like just by the time we figure out what a scam looks like, they come up with a new one. Yeah, well, first, thanks for having me on. And yeah, you know, I mean, the scams take all different forms. And Really, a lot of the scams that you see online today are scams that originated even before the computer was around, right? So sweepstakes scams, those kinds of things that have been around for ages. But the bad guys are not dumb. Um, these are smart criminals, and they continuously uh, change their approach um, in order to get people to share information or to give them money. Um, in ways that are very, very creative. And, it, you know, it's hard to stay on top of it all. Um, there's two things that tend to motivate us, fear and greed, and uh, perhaps loneliness, the third, if you're a single senior. And many of these scam artists have learned how to harness all three of those vulnerabilities, haven't they? 
Yeah, I would also add altruism. Um, we see a lot of charity scams as mm. well. So, yeah, there's a, there's a bunch of different ways. And, and, you know, we call it social engineering, right? That's what it is. And we call it scams and fraud. But what the bad guys are doing is social engineering. They're putting something in front of you um, that um, lights your interest, um, that gets you to act. Uh, in some cases, it may get you to do things that you normally wouldn't do. They may create a sense of panic or fear, right? That's, as you mentioned, um, there's something wrong with an account, there's something wrong with a shipment, um, or, of course, you know, on the greed side, we, we have, you know, the Nigerian prince, we have sweepstakes scams, and other kinds of uh, things where people can um, have earned a lot of, you know, earn a lot of money or, or win a lot of money. There's also a degree to which they, they play on maybe our insecurities enough so that they will take, what's the old adage, uh, you know, a little bit of leaven, leaven at the whole loaf. They will take enough of the truth that they will catch our attention. Now, a lot of times when I see these email and I see that, you know, I'm getting the alert from SunTrust Bank that my account has been breached or that there's a, a funny activity going on in my first third bank account, well, I don't do business with either of those banks. Neither of those banks do business in California where I'm at, and so I immediately know it's bogus. But I might get a email from a bank that does business in California, maybe a bank that I do business with, it seems to be innocuous enough. They've seen some suspicious activity. They're alerting me. And if I'll just go online to confirm my details and innocently a senior might click on this thinking that it's fully above board and find themselves not at the Bank of America website, but a website that looks an awful lot like it. More than an awful lot like it. It looks almost exactly like it, and that's what makes it really difficult, right? Um, and so, yeah, and that, that is part of the way, um, you know, these things have become more sophisticated over time. You know, 10 years ago, you would get a spammy email with, you know, uh, incorrect grammar, you know, things spelled improperly, um, you know, those kinds of things. And now you get uh, an email that looks like a very legitimate, um, straight from... Uh, a well-trusted brand. I mean, what brands are more trusted than banks in many ways, where people put their money? Um, and, you know, they urge you to act. And that's what you really have to look at. You have to look at what is being asked of you. What is this email requiring that you do? Log into your account? You know, that should raise some suspicion right there. Tell you that there's something, you know, wrong that needs to be corrected right now? That should raise some sus suspicion right there. So there's a, a bunch of different things that you can sort of pay attention to. And, you know, I think, um, uh, you know, we, we like to think sometimes that, oh, you know, sometimes older people, you know, become targets in certain kinds of ways. But older people also have a lot of life experience um, that they bring to the table. And using um, that life experience and their good judgment that they've had for many years can help them um, be defended against a lot of these uh, scams. And as you point out, to be fair, I don't want this to be characterized as well. Um, older Americans are more vulnerable, they're fragile, and, and therefore uh, bigger targets. We're all targets. And these scammers, as you've suggested, Michael, are becoming more 
and more sophisticated, going from the days when, yeah, there was a lot of grammar errors, much misspelling, uh, things just didn't look right, where you could generally spot, okay, this is a bogus site. Today, they're getting sophisticated enough that sometimes they even will buy sound-alike or look-alike URL addresses or URL addresses that are related to a common misspelling that, as a result, will take you to a website that maybe you went to intentionally that you thought was completely legitimate that turns out is not, and they've done it because they're getting more and more sophisticated. Yeah, and I, and I might also point out, too, sort of when you're talking about email scams, right, um, certainly there are probably some that are targeted to older people, but a lot of them are like big direct mail campaigns, right? So they may not even know, you know, the age of the person uh, that the email is going to. So um, they are generally directed toward people, especially these big, broad, sweeping spam-type campaigns. Um, and you're absolutely correct. I mean, also they can spoof, which means, you know, make it look like, right, an email that came from, you know, acmebank.com, right, um, and make those websites look really, really uh, close to uh, the website of the legitimate business. And so um, it's, it can be very difficult for people to really parse out what's real and what's not. And and unfortunately, that makes it difficult for people. There are two areas that they have seemingly perfected in recent years that are targeted not singularly to seniors, but seem to be found very effective towards seniors. Um, one is scams related to things like your grandson has been arrested, he's overseas, he needs money to bail himself out of jail, things of this sort. And as I mentioned a moment ago, for older folks that perhaps have lost a spouse and they're they're looking for companionship, um, some of the computer dating scams. We'll talk about both of those as we return. Michael Kaiser, Executive Director of the National Cybersecurity Alliance. We're talking um, in a specific sense about um, this kind of tomfoolery that targets vulnerable members of society, but even the broader area where, quite frankly, we can all be um, wisely reminded of just how dangerous it is out there on the Internet and how that we really can never let our guard down. Let's take a brief time out. We'll come back to more of our conversation as Lifeline continues right after this. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Back to our conversation, Michael Kaiser. We're talking about scams, other online-related nefarious activities that many one of us, quite frankly, could become a victim of. But there is um, evidence to demonstrate that seniors in particular, um, two-thirds of which that have familiarity with being online. Two-thirds of them have been scammed online. Part of it's a trust factor. Part of it is because, as Michael Kaiser suggests, these scammers and con artists are just getting a lot more sophisticated at all of this. Uh, more recently, of course, we've seen a huge rise in things like uh, scams related to uh, the IRS. You owe money. We're going to send the police to uh, uh, to uh, pick you up if you don't uh, send us money immediately. Another one that they will use is calling an elderly individual and saying or emailing saying that I'm the grandson, I'm stuck overseas, and I need some money to help bail me out of jail. Uh, those things come with some great degree of frequency these days, don't they? Yeah, I mean, really, the, the, the scam volume is just tremendous. I mean, and even with, you know, 
the highly sophisticated tools that the email providers use, and they get uh, and you know root out like probably you know somewhere between you know 98 and 99 percent of all the scam messages that are out there. Still, a big number that one percent that gets through or two percent is just a large volume. I mean, we all seen them, right? We get you know many of us probably get a couple of them a day that look kind of suspicious, um, and uh, you know probably have our antenna up about whether this is a real email or fake. You mentioned things like sweepstakes. Certainly there's a hesitancy there because, gee, free money and, you know, why why wouldn't Ed McMahon want to send me $100,000? But there are other ways in which we can become victims to this. And as you've suggested, Michael, this is not something in terms of vulnerability that is unique to uh, uh, retirees or senior citizens in America. Easy things, simple things like a home network router where your wireless router, you just bought the thing, installed it, never bothered to put a password in. You're using the default password that who could ever guess 1234 would be the access. And yet um, scammers out there driving around in your neighborhood can uh, see which wireless networks are unprotected, log in, commit crimes using your Internet connection, and then when the FBI shows up at the door, you're going to have to answer for it. Yeah, I mean, there, there are certainly those kinds of attacks that happen, and, and um, especially if the people want to engage in, you know, some kind of nefarious act. And, I mean, in the harshest, worst cases, you know, you might see cases of people hijacking people's routers to do things like child pornography or something like that, which could really, um, you know, cause a tremendous uh, amount of pain in a lot of different kinds of ways for folks. Um, and then no one wants to see that kind of activity happening under their name, right? And that also happens, you know, straight out with identity theft as well, right? So stealing someone's identity and then going on and using their identity, you know, to create um, accounts, uh, to perhaps, you know, apply for credit cards, to um, try and access different kinds of uh, accounts that might have money in them and steal them. So, yeah, um, you know, we live in in a world where their Internet is uh, not built on perfect security, unfortunately. And the identity theft issue, go a little bit deeper on that, if you would, because it's not just one thing to say, be wary of emails, don't go to a site that's a phony site. You could go to a site that seems to be completely innocuous and harmless, click on something, or click on a attachment in an email, maybe just out of curiosity or by accident, you thought you recognized the sender and said, family vacation pictures, clicked on the attachment before you really realized what it was that you were looking at, inadvertently downloaded spyware onto your computer, that's now capturing every keystroke that you make. And can't they oftentimes use that kind of data, Michael, to be able to go back and essentially uh, capture passwords and log in information and suddenly get involved in your accounts, let alone stealing your identity? Yeah, there are definitely, you know, certain, there are certain kinds of uh, malware, malicious software that we, as we call it, um, that can do those kinds of things. They can do keystrokes, right? They can capture keystrokes. So when you go to put in your password, it's capturing your password. So even if it's a long and strong like it should be, um, you're, you're giving it away. Um, it could use your computer to generate uh, emails to everybody on your contact list that look like they come from Michael Kaiser, right? Um, so, uh, and they do come out of my inbox because they've taken it over. And that might uh, have my contacts be more likely to click on something that they shouldn't, right? So they try to get around some of the 
you know, the fences that we've put up and some of the defenses we've put up around. So, so a friend has been compromised, and I've seen that happen. I've seen colleagues within the broadcast industry that I know and correspond with or maybe even work within the same company, and an email comes in. It's from somebody I know. It's a web. It's, a, it's an email address that I recognize, and, and I'm wondering why they're emailing me telling me that they discovered this great new weight loss product or how, how it is I can grow hair. At first, I feel insulted, and then I realize, wait a minute, something's afoot here. Yeah, you'll see that on uh, on social networks as well. You'll see a friend request on Facebook from someone who's already your friend, right? That's usually a you know pretty clear sign that their account's been compromised, and and so that's what the you know the bad guys are doing. They're trying to compromise accounts for different reasons, but also back to the kind of spyware and the activity they can do. That means that they could be getting your you know your password when you try to log on to a bank account, right, or a credit card account, or some or you know an account where you can order things and have them shipped to you. So you know they can just change the shipping address uh, where where the item will be shipped to. So there's lots of different things they can do, um, and then they can also use your computer. And these are unbeknownst to you now. You know, in the old days, we tell people. Oh, if your computer's acting slow, um, you know, if you're getting a lot of pop-up windows, you're probably infected. Well, they've moved on from that because they realize that then they get caught. They can use it for something called a botnet. They can use your computer to start generating, you know, massive amounts of spam uh, to other people and or use it to attack other computers um, to uh, slow down networks or to attack other networks. You know, all kinds of things that no one really wants to be uh, involved in, um, and especially have their computer compromise. And, and there's another vulnerability here, and it's not just seniors, I think it's all of us. Uh, whether we get a message about uh, updating viable protection definitions or uh, updating our software and we're busy, it's like, oh, don't bother me now. We kind of click out of the message and ignore it, think we'll get to it later and never do. Um, e- even folks that maybe, and I think this may be uh, true of all of us, that uh, look at computers and say, gee, I just bought this five years ago. What do you mean it's outmoded? But, you know, people that are running, for example, XP, God bless Microsoft, as reliable as that OS was for a long time, if you're running an XP machine that no longer has support from Microsoft, you're vulnerable. So there's also perhaps a reality here that staying on top of things that are current, while to you feels like, oh, they're just trying to tell me, sell me stuff that I already have and don't need, there is a degree to which staying on top of having an active um, you know, antivirus software running, making sure that you've got the current OS with all the patches and stay on top of that really can be the difference between a safe online experience and one that can be easily compromised. Yeah, we all have a shared responsibility to make sure that uh, we keep what we like to say, keep clean machines, right? Try and do everything you can to keep any device that you have connected to the Internet. Uh, and it's more than just people's PCs and laptops right now, and mobile especially is important as well. Keep them free from infections, right? Um, that's what we're talking about with malware. You get an infected uh, machine. And software updates are really one of the best defenses and one of the primary cybersecurity tools that everybody needs to do. It's, it's really quite that, that simple. And, you know, the good news here is um, when we started the National Cybersecurity Alliance back in 2001, I came in 2008, our first advice to everyone was update your antivirus software when you change the batteries in your smoke detector, right? That was a long time ago when everybody had dial-up and uh, there weren't that many viruses out there. Now any reputable uh, AV software, and we don't recommend any particular brands, but, you know, all the good ones automatically update every 30, 60, 90 seconds, right? 
against a lot of these um, uh, malicious attacks. On this, in the mobile space, though, it's just as important, and people really need to make sure that their mobile phones, their smartphones, that they update the software on that, whether it's the operating system, um, whether they have you know, a lot of apps that they're running, um, they should definitely keep those up to date. And in addition, we always recommend that people uh, um, delete apps uh, that they're no longer using. And I think, you know, I, I know, you know, in my case, I often will uh, download an app and say, wow, this is the greatest thing, you know, since sliced bread. And then, uh, you know, a month later, I'm not using it all. And then I'm getting a little, you know, number by it or a number in a folder that's telling me I have to update it and I don't update it because I don't use it anymore. And you should just delete it, right? Just get rid of the ones that you're no longer using. And the other piece of advice, people see the the virus updates, um, the anti-malware updates, and they think, well, gee, why does Microsoft keep bothering me? Can't they get this thing fixed as quickly as they find the vulnerability and repair it? Some huckster out there manages to find another one and create yet another workaround. So, yeah, you, you, there was a time when I guess you could say every six months, make sure you update it. These days, sometimes it's six times inside of a day that it becomes necessary. Uh, Michael, for folks that want to go a little bit deeper, folks that maybe you're looking for some resources um, to educate friends and family, maybe mom and dad, about uh, the vulnerabilities and what they need to do, the steps they need to take to better protect themselves from becoming a victim of online cyber-related crime, what resources are available through National Cybersecurity Alliance? Yeah, we have two websites that are really, uh, you know, provide a lot of information. One of them is stopthinkconnect.org. That's our a uh, really global campaign for cybersecurity education awareness. There's uh, tip sheets on a variety of topics there, um, you know, on mobile, on uh, talking to kids, on um, keeping your home secure, uh, IoT, a lot of different topics and a lot of different great materials. And then staysafeonline.org has some of those materials and some additional things about the activities that we engage in, like National Cybersecurity Awareness Month. But I also say to people there's a ton of great resources out there, um, you know, the Federal Trade Commission, FTC.gov, has amazing resources for folks. Most people who, you know, whether it's uh, whatever they're using, the, if they're using a, you know, antivirus software, that company may have great resources for them. So we're not, we're really resource agnostic. What we want people to do is go out and educate themselves and find out what they can do from whoever they trust. Uh, to get the information that they need to be safer online. And oftentimes you've got a grandchild, somebody that you know, a neighbor that's got some expertise on this. Don't uh, don't hesitate to get some advice. The most important thing is you need to be vigilant about this, and if you stay vigilant, you will stay safe online. StopThinkConnect.org. That's StopThinkConnect.org. Another great URL, remember, is StaySafeOnline.org. StaySafeOnline.org. Michael Kaiser, Executive Director of the National Cybersecurity Alliance, thanks so much for the update. Good information. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Think about your own life experiences. In fact, maybe you're in the middle of one of these right now, be it a challenging and painful divorce that you don't want, the recent loss of a job, maybe facing illness as well. There are times when you manage okay, you get through the day all right, there's enough to keep you occupied and busy. But there are other times, maybe particularly so in the quiet of the evening, when your thoughts seem to overwhelm you, when it just seems to be impossible to turn your thoughts off either reasoning through how you're going to try and fix a challenge or a problem 
or worrying about what might happen if and the potential consequences. And at the end of the day, you seem to be absolutely overwhelmed by your thoughts. And worse still, your biggest prayer, your overwhelming desire is just to simply find a way to shut them off. You just want to have a moment of peace. (laughs) There have been times when I've gone through that, and I've thought, you know, if they're away, if I can't shut my thoughts off, maybe I just need to cut my head off. (laughs) Maybe that would work. Well, of course, that's in the extreme, and we would never recommend that. But there are things that you can take. I don't mean a pill, by the way. There are steps that you can take that can help you better manage your thoughts. At the end of the day, of course, your thoughts will lead to your feelings, your feelings lead to actions, and sometimes you might act or react in a fashion that is wholly inappropriate, that exacerbates the situation or problem that you are facing. Best-selling author Tracy Miles joins us now. She has written a new book called Unsinkable Faith, God-Filled Strategies to Transform the Way You Think, Feel and live. And Tracy, great to have you on the program. Thank you. Great to be here. Wow, this is a tough assignment for a lot of folks because I don't know if this is true of everybody, but certainly many people that I know that when they are overcome by feelings of uselessness or desperation. They're dealing maybe with a a very painful divorce that they didn't want. They've recently been laid off. There's some kind of a financial calamity that they're dealing with or or something as difficult as a illness, maybe even a terminal illness. Your thoughts sometimes take control and they can be overwhelming. That is so true. And that's exactly why I wrote the book, Unthinkable Faith, because I found myself in a position of such despair and, you know, really just being consumed by negativity and pessimism. And, you know, God just really helped me to live out this message so that I could write about it to hopefully help others realize that they can have victory over their thoughts. They don't have to be controlled by negative thoughts that keep coming to mind day after day. For you, you describe early on in the book a a major turning point that came out of a conversation, and I would imagine it's it's not the conversation that all of us would think of when we think about a, a conversation with Jesus. Uh, it's typically, Lord, help me here, help, Lord, help me there. But you had, you had a serious sit-down, <laughs> I guess, for the want of a better definition. Mm-hmm. I definitely did. And as you've mentioned, um, I, my personal situation was going through an unexpected and unwanted and fairly abrupt Um, separation from my husband and divorce and I was going through just all the devastation and confusion of that situation for many many months and I finally just came to a point to where I just kind of lost it (laughs) and I had been trying to be so strong and really lean on my faith and just be strong for my kids and you know but the thoughts that come along with any kind of negative circumstance or any kind of life upheaval can just really become all-consuming and overwhelming, and they can cause us to sink spiritually, mentally, emotionally, and even physically. And so this is where I had found myself this day, was really at my weakest, lowest point. And I had no other option at this point but just to ask Jesus, you know, I just need you to rescue me from, from sinking. And after I spent several hours in prayer just pouring my heart out to God, and I was angry and upset and confused and hurt, 
I just kind of laid there in the aftermath. I was laying on, in my bedroom just all by myself, and I suddenly realized that I wasn't alone, and I heard God's whisper to my ear, and it said, but will you still love me? And my immediate answer was, I will still love you, Lord, which almost caught me off guard because that's not the place where my mind was really thinking, but it just became a turning point for me because it really opened my eyes to see that I do still love the Lord. He is still with me, and I can get through this, but I can't keep letting my thoughts sink me in despair and negativity. And the challenge I find with thoughts is that you can begin with the best of intentions, uh, start the day out in prayer and in Scripture, and, and you've sort of purposed in your mind, at least you thought, that you're going to stay away from any negativity, and then boom, suddenly something hits you. Uh, either you get distracted in some fashion, maybe somebody says something that they, they didn't mean to put your mind in that direction, but they did, and suddenly you're back into this quagmire, this downward spiral where you feel like you're losing control. Yeah, I think that pretty much happens to all of us <laughs> because, you know, we're never going to arrive as a positive thinker. We're never going to be able to keep that up all day, every day. But we can we can make efforts to really change the way that we habitually think and the way that we, you know, tend to react. We can change that over time. It just be, needs to be an intentional choice. We need to invite God into the process to help us transform our minds and transform the way that we think so that, you know, when somebody does caught us off in traffic or when someone does say something that upsets us, it doesn't really affect us in the same way that it would have before. Mm, understood. Um, the scripture certainly tells us that our thoughts should be transformed by, and our lives transformed by our thoughts. But of course, that process begins by transforming our mind. How does that process begin for you? Well, that is really my favorite verse, and that's one of the core verses, Romans twelve two, that you're referring to, which says, you know, let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. And it's just such a profound verse, and it really just reassures us that we can be changed. And like you said, it does have to begin in the mind. And in Unthinkable Faith, I do offer three strategies that are super simple, but also very profound and really ushering in radical change in our life. And basically, it's just recognize the thoughts that you're thinking that are negative, reject those, you know, just refuse to think those anymore each time they come to mind, and then immediately replace that thought with something that's more positive or maybe more true. So recognize, reject, and replace. And if we begin to implement those super practical steps into our life every day, you know, over time, it will get easier and easier. In the at the onset, it will seem like, oh, this is a chore. I have to constantly remind myself to do this. But after several weeks of doing something, it becomes more of a habit for us. And I was going to say you kind of you kind of equate this our, you kind of equate tendency. this then, uh, Tracy, to uh, forming of a good habit. They say you know it, it takes thirty days to form a habit. So if suddenly you're trying to you know lose weight or modify some behavior in your life, you need to get to it, stay with it, and do so for at least thirty days. Is that in part what we're talking about here? That's definitely what we're talking about. But studies have really proven that we can't really form a brand new habit that we're going to stick to in just 30 days. You know, it might take 60 days. It might take someone six months. But the end result will be so worth the effort that we put into it. 
All right. Understood. Now, let's talk about getting on the track of that habit, because the one thing that I know many people will be challenged by, and that is, well, if along that road I stumble, I fall, I slip back into bad habits, I feel as if I've completely defeated myself, I'm starting at zero all over again. And that, I think, oftentimes for many folks, Tracy, is the point at which they just find it's easy to give up. Well, we can certainly give up. Anytime we get frustrated with something we're trying to do, that, that's our human tendency. Um, but I love Ephesians 4.23 that says, let the Spirit renew our thoughts and attitudes. And it's just another example that it can happen for us. It won't happen overnight, but it will happen. Mm. All right, let's talk about a few ways in which, and you've, you've spent some time in the book, I might add, um, gathering stories about how folks have been able to develop these changes in their thinking, basically transforming their mind, and as a result, experiencing a transformed life. Walk us through a few. Well, there are several different stories in the book. Um, one that comes to mind specifically because this, this person has, I've never actually met her face-to-face. Her name is Kayla, but she was diagnosed with a brain tumor not quite a couple years ago, and her faith and her optimism and her positive outlook is literally astounding and you know she really struggled with the fear of this diagnosis that she had received and how was it going to affect her and you know she's got three small children and she continued to walk through and i follow her on social media and she would post these posts that i just that just blew me away but as she began to really implement these steps into her life it helps her through some of those really hard times and now she's on the other side of surgery and treatments and she's doing really well and has you know she has some issues that she has to deal with but her attitude is simply amazing and it's all because she intentionally decided regardless of this adversity regardless of the fear of the unknown and not knowing what the future is going to hold i'm going to be positive and i'm going to have a life full of joy and i'm going to put my hope and my trust in God, and I'm not going to spend so much time being negative when I can devote that time to being positive. A big part of this, then, is the decision-making process, isn't it? It definitely is. We can't, you know, until we set our minds to something, no pun intended, (laughs) we are not going to accomplish it. So we have to choose. First, choose that, you know, we want to change, no matter how long someone thinks, I've always been a negative thinker, or my whole family's just pessimistic, and that's the way I'm wired. Regardless of how long we may have felt that we're kind of in this this trap of negativity, we do not have to stay there because God can rescue us from sinking further and further into a life of you know seeing the glass half empty instead of half full. And you know that making a decision to do that, uh, there's more power in that than I think most people really realize. I, I recall going through an experience of a cancer diagnosis, and I'd watched my mother um, struggle through the effects of ovarian cancer for the better part of a decade and a half. And the one thing that constantly struck me about the way she managed everything from the diagnosis to the surgery to years on and off of uh, chemotherapy, remission, and feeling good for a while, then back on chemotherapy and so forth. And that was that she always remained with a positive attitude. 
She never threw pity parties. Uh, she never got, or at least she never displayed any degree of, of concern or fear when she was um, in hospital or dealing with the chemotherapy sessions. And when I was eventually diagnosed um, back in uh, 2015, I decided, you know, I've got to approach this the way my mother did. Mm-hmm. And so as nervous as I was going into the hospital and dealing with surgeons and doctors and wires and tubes and all of the stuff that goes on inside of a hospital, as 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 scared as I was of the process, I thought, you know, I am going to decide that 100% of my faith and confidence in getting through this experience is going to be on the Lord and that God is going to get me through this no matter what. And I am not going to give in to fearful thinking. And I have to tell you, uh, the way in which God met me, because I made that definitive proclamation, I made that decision that I wasn't going to succumb to the negativity, I wasn't going to yield to the fear, I don't want to take the time (laughs) to tell you how many ways, Tracy, in which God met me and honored that. Mm-hmm. Well, I can definitely relate to that. I mean, so many times in my life, but especially in the past couple of years with, you know, what our family has been going through. And I really had that turning point that I talked about a minute ago. That was really a life-changing moment for me because, like you, I had to decide, am I going to let this bring me down or am I going to rise up and let God, you know, help me get through this? And just like you're saying, I know that He has provided for us in miraculous ways. And I have been able to have peace and happiness and just enjoy my life despite the circumstances that we're going through and just really be thankful for our blessings. And, you know, when we change our perspective about life, it truly changes our life overall. We're going to take a brief time out, come back to more of our visit tonight with Tracy Miles. Tracy's the author of this new book we've been discussing, Unsinkable Faith, God-Filled Strategies to Transform the Way You Think, Feel and Live. Newly published, by the way, by David Cook Publications. You'll find it at the usual suspects, Amazon.com. And Tracy, can it also be ordered through your website? Um, it can be ordered through Proverbs31.org, but you can link to it from my website, Okay, so either tracymiles.com. Link, either link through tracymiles.com or through the Proverbs 31 Ministries website. Okay, we'll take a brief time out. Come back to more of our visit with Tracy Miles. Unsinkable Faith, as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. We're talking about Unsinkable Faith, the title of a new book written by Tracy Miles, newly published by David Cook, dealing with the challenge of transforming your life by transforming your mind. And before you think we're getting all new agey here, this is very much a biblically-based principle. But I'm curious, Tracy, for someone eavesdropping on our conversation right now who says, but you guys don't understand, I can't turn it off. Every time I try to turn it off, that switch manages to slap back on into the on position. What do you say to that individual? Well, we could say that the phrase um, can't never could, (laughs) (laughs) but all things are possible in Christ. And that is really why I, I think God had me walk out this message before I could write about it, because I was in that position of thinking, you know, these this situation that I'm in is so devastating, is so difficult, is, you know, bringing on so many emotions that I'm trying to struggle with. There's just no way. I almost felt like I was in a brain fog for many months, but there is a way, and it's called Jesus. So we just have to invite Him, and I keep saying invite because He wants to do this for us. He wants to help us transform Scripture 
tells us that he wants us to, but that also we can. But we have to invite him into the process and believe and trust that he can do that transformation in us, too. Let's talk about some of the, uh, we'll call them God tools, the resources that are available to us through Scripture that can help us better fight and control those thoughts when they kind of get out of control. Mm-hmm. Well, there are lots of tools at our fingertips, so we have lots of resources that we can always tap into, but we can never find better resources than God's Word and our prayer life. And so even though they seem like just your normal, you know, run-of-the-mill tools that we would think of, we often take so for granted the power that we can find in those. And several years ago, I share a story in the book about when I read the Chronological Bible um, all the way through throughout the year, and it just truly made the Word come alive to me for the very first time. And I truly understood you know, how God can really speak to us through His Word. And I've heard Him answer so many prayers and speak to me in such profound ways in the past few years that there's just no way to discount that. And so I'm just passionate about helping people tap into those tools because we have them available. We just often neglect to take advantage of them. And, you know, even in my own life, I think of the number of times that I have dealt with the negative thoughts and struggled through all of the, I'm a worry wart, so (laughs) I immediately go to the worst case scenario. I probably would have been a great writer for mystery novels and things of that sort, because I always managed to find the, uh, you know, the the dark string or thread behind the, uh, the black cloud. But that said, the one thing that I found in my life, and that is that when I feel overwhelmed by concerns or worry and I get myself into Scripture, uh, my brain suddenly cannot do two things at once. And now as I'm focused on Scripture, there seems to be no room for the negative thoughts and the worry, um, the distraction that uh, the enemy would rather put on me. And so staying focused in Scripture during those times um, has made all the difference in my life, as, as certainly you suggest it has in yours. What about the idea, Tracy, too, of having a support network? Well, we always want to surround ourselves with positive people. And I was thinking about when you were sharing your story about your mom and how she was such a great positive role model for you. I can relate to that as well, because my mother was a great positive role model for me. She also went through cancer and divorce and single parenthood and financial concerns. And not once did I ever see her being negative or bitter or just a pessimistic person, even to this day. And she's got a a whole new set of issues. She is still the most positive person that I know. So we want to surround ourselves with positive people because that optimism becomes contagious. And, you know, we want to be contagious to other people in a good way and not in a bad way. So it's kind of a cycle that we do need to have that network of people, whether it's in our family or friends or coworkers. It's so important to have people to, to hold each other accountable to positive thinking and to staying true to the way that God wants us to live our lives. And let's differentiate here for some, someone listening right now that says, oh, yeah, I've met those kind of people. They're just so phony, positive, happy, happy, happy all the time, and you can see right through the veneer. We're not really talking about that here, are we? We're really talking about a level of joy and peace that is disconnected from our circumstances and rather based on our faith, based on our relationship with the Lord. Is that the important distinction here? It's the very most important distinction. You know, we can usually spot a fake or a faker a mile away. 
and but people can recognize when your optimism and your your positive thinking and your being a good you know a good friend and a good supporter people recognize when that's genuine and we can only be that way through through the the power of Christ within us because this world is a negative place we all have to deal with negative circumstances we turn the television on and we're bombarded with negative influences so we have to make an effort an intentional effort starting from the inside out to really begin changing the way that we think so we can change the way that we live overall. Throughout the book, you don't just make proclamations and share insights, but you challenge the reader to not only think about what they've read, but to engage in that process of changing their thinking. And I think um, some of the engagement here uh, that you encourage the reader to do can be that additional special step that folks can take that can literally put them over the top and change their thinking. And, of course, as we've suggested, changing our thinking can transform our lives. Right. And that was certainly my prayer by including all of these challenge exercises and the reflection, uh, you know, questions to consider. Because until we actually, we can read books all day long, but until we actually take what we've read and apply it to our life and make it a practical step that we go through each and every day, our life's not going to change. So we want to let God's Word get inside of us. We want to ask Him to help us start living in a new way and start thinking in a new way, and then we can really start making some strides and be more a more positive thinker. And as you suggest, it's a matter of not just reading, but reading and applying. And I think being patient, too. Sometimes we don't cut ourselves enough slack that if along the way we find ourselves reverting back into old habits or uh, suddenly we get stuck into, uh, a friend of mine used to call it stinking thinking, uh, Mm -hmm. that's okay because we don't have to stay stuck there. And God will pull us back out of that hole and we can get right back up and right back on track again, can't we? That's right. His mercies are renewed every day. And just to encourage your listeners, um, a lot of studies have shown that 50, we have 50,000 to 70,000 thoughts per day, and 97% of those thoughts are the same ones we thought yesterday, and 80% of those were negative. So it just kind of opens your eyes to see the amount of negative thoughts, the tens of thousands of negative thoughts that we might be just inadvertently thinking every single day. But when we, you know, really intentionally try to change that and just gradually over time start creating new pathways in our brains, it'll, it's, it's amazing. I'm just amazed at what God's done in my life through this and through the, all the women that shared in the book about how it's really changed their lives as well. And there's so much that we can do to change our circumstances, either by changing our thinking or or just actively getting involved. I mean, you know, it, it's easy to say, oh, my goodness, now as I'm, I'm going to head home here, uh, leaving work tonight, am I going to, I'm not going to have enough gas. I know I'm not going to make it home. Oh, I'm going to run out of gas on the freeway. I just know it. And you get locked into that mindset instead of saying, well, maybe you need to stop by and, hey, here's a thought. Go buy and get some gasoline at the gas station on the way home. <laughs> right. <laughs> so it's the same. Don't want to let our negative thoughts derail us. That's right. It, and 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 believe me, it's the enemy's stated purpose to do just that. So we need to get the upper hand, and we certainly can and will through faith and through Scripture. A look at unsinkable faith, God-filled strategies to transform the way you think, feel, and live. Tracy Miles, its author. The publisher is, of course. David Cook, and available at bookstores throughout the Bay Area, as well as through Proverbs 31 Ministries, and uh, Tracy's website, if you're interested, tracymiles.com. Thanks to Tracy for being with us tonight on that segment of Lifeline. 
Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Media Group. All rights reserved. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.